Hello, you're listening to A Little Bit of Largan, a podcast exploring how to find a more balanced, sustainable and mindful approach to living, to support your well-being, the well-being of others and of the planet too. My name is Marla and in this episode I'm speaking with Jasmine Harrison. Jasmine works as a project manager for environmental non-for-profit organisations, a career change that she made after working within the fashion industry. Jasmine also runs a website and a blog which I will leave a link to as she shares such useful resources with a wonderful balance on educational things, inspiration and just feel good stuff too. So I really would recommend that you check it out. In this conversation, we talk about the work that she does, the aims for her website and the value in bringing a sense of community. We discuss the importance of creativity beyond the arts and why taking an intersectional approach is so crucial to finding just and sustainable solutions. She talks about how incredibly important it is to diversify the narratives that we hear and how this can support more justice and accessibility, not only in the environmental spaces, but in all aspects of life. So settle in with a cup of tea or pop out for a long walk in nature and enjoy. I hope it brings you as much food for thought, education and inspiration as it did for me. Hey Marla, sorry, just as you clicked on, there started like this car alarm started going going on. <laughs> Classic New York, honestly. Um, so relaxing. That's city living, I guess. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, thank you so much for agreeing to have this chat with me. Of course. I was so like, just touched. I think really often when you're trying to build something, like as you're trying to build this podcast, I'm sure you can relate. Anything you're trying to build, it feels like no one else sees it or can tell that you're doing it. And People don't know the energy and the effort that you put into it. So I was really just touched. So that felt very validating. So thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. No, you're more than welcome. Like when I came across like your website and your blog and everything, you have so much valuable information on there and really gives something for everyone to relate to, which I think is so important. Yeah, um, so yeah, that's definitely my goal. I mean, it would be great to hear a bit more about the work that you do and just so the listeners have a bit of context about kind of who you are and sure I can get wordy so don't ever feel shy about cutting me off if <laughs> you want to just like wave your hand feel like girl wrap it up wrap it up we're tired of hearing this but um, I used to work in fashion I went to school for fashion design and that's the field that I worked in once I graduated from college I lived in New York for five years and then I moved to LA for two years I got sick of the snow and in New York City. And while Los Angeles wasn't a great fit for me in terms of the city, it gave me a lot to think about what I really want for my life and also what I want to contribute to the world. And as much as I love fashion and I believe that fashion and art is extremely important, I felt like working for brands that I didn't quite agree with, I was just thinking to myself, like, what do I really want to do in life? Because I grew up traveling abroad. My dad worked in the foreign service. Um, He worked for American embassies around the world. And so I was exposed to a lot of different countries, a lot of different types of living, a lot of different type of lifestyles early on. And I was, I've always been hyper aware of the differences between how people live in this country and different, even different areas of this country can be vastly different. 
and certainly to overseas as well. And I said, in, in thinking about like how pressing climate change was, which is really the number one issue, I would say, <laughs> impacting all of us, it hasn't gone away just because there's a pandemic and we can't go outside. Climate change is still a very, very real concern. I wanted to feel like I was contributing in some other way, in a more direct way to trying to improve the planet for myself, for my community, for the children I'd like to have one day. I was having a lot of conversations with friends and I would be on the phone with them for like two hours and I'd be ranting and raving about like clean water and water accessibility. <laughs> and <laughs> I had one of those calls with my cousin as well. And, and he actually ended up helping me get connected to my current boss and my current position now. But that was really kind of how I moved there. It was just realizing that I was not feeling settled, comfortable, okay with where I was. And it, I didn't really know how to maneuver out of it. Making a career change when seeing the people around you get married and get promotions and buy houses and have children. And I'm trying to like change my career. <laughs> I felt like, oh shoot, I guess I could have figured this out a little while ago, but it's all worked out really well for me. And I'm really happy to be working in the environmental field now. So I work as a project manager for a coalition of environmental nonprofit groups. Um, it's national and international organizations. It's a private coalition. With project management, it's a lot of how I refer to it as like people management. Like, yes, you have to track what needs to get done, but it's what I found to be most effective is to be able to connect with people and to remember that people are still people. Like, yes, we have a job to get done. And yes, I want you to get it done on the deadline because I like to check things off. I like to get things done early. I, <laughs> I will send you reminders to get to do your work. Like I'm perfect for this, for this job because I'm really all about a deadline and sticking to a budget and organizing and thinking through what's the best way to do this. Not just like most effective, but also what's the best way so that everybody feels good at the end of the day. Um, but it's really people management and making sure that people feel okay and taking the time to check in and say, how are you doing today? And how is your week? And what else is on your workload? And how can I make this thing that needs to get done? How can I make it easier for you? I've had times when I've had a work call scheduled with someone that's supposed to take 30 minutes and it went for an hour. And that's because for 45 minutes, my colleague was just talking about what was going on in their life, how they were feeling that day, how they were feeling that week. And I feel like that kind of work is, and taking the time to do that is very, very important in getting the project done in a way that feels empowering and also just doesn't leave people feeling burnt out and disconnected, which I think is really, really easy to do, especially when causes are important. There is this natural tendency to want to give it everything. And I think in, in giving it everything and demanding everything from other people, we have to remember that people are still people. Those are things I learned living in New York and some of the volunteer work that I did when I lived here several years ago was just remembering that when you lead teams, they have a whole other life going on. If we take the time to look at people and remember their humanity and connect on that level, man, it's such a much more pleasant work environment. Like not so much of the, the small talk. It is a little bit more of the, like, how are you really doing kind of thing. I'm not just saying it because I don't care. And as a introductory thing to kind of get to like my part of the agenda, like I really want to know how you're doing. It's a team of two of us. My boss and I are the people who support the coalition and working with her has been incredible. She 
is so great at what she does. I've learned a lot from her. She's also very personable. We're very similar in terms of our work styles. So it's been a really like much better transition than I ever could have hoped to have planned for myself in making a career change, like much better <laughs> than I ever would have thought. It's been really nice. Awesome. And I just want to go back to what you said about treating people as people and recognizing everyone's humanity. Like that's so important. I could imagine the way people work in industries would be so much different if more people took the time to do that like you do with people. So it's so nice to hear that that's what your value is and the way you work with people. I certainly try. You know, I should also say that I miss, miss the mark plenty of times. And there are times where I'm like, okay, I just need you to get this thing done at this time because of the deadline. Like, I, of course, I get caught up in that, but I try to check myself and to also encourage other people. But I agree that I think that we'd be happier people. We spend so much time at work. We'd be happier human beings in general if you know more people tried to do that. I think what you said then as well is super lovely about the idea of recognizing that that's your aim and you're trying to do it, but you're still learning how to do that better and opening up everyone <laughs> to have that feeling of being like, I'm not this perfectly formed human. And there's so much room for growth. Like everyone has these flaws and being able to be open to them and question them and learn from them. So, so important. But yeah, I'd be interested to hear kind of how um, the correlation came between the work you went into and then setting up your website and the blog. Where did that inspiration first start? So that inspiration first started with me thinking about that same kind of question of what do I want to contribute? What do I really want to do? Where do I see that there's holes? that solutions could be presented for. And my focus I have narrowed in on is trying to build community because especially when it comes to climate change, when it comes to any social justice cause, it's very easy to feel like behind the eight ball whenever you engage and you feel like, oh my gosh, everybody knows everything already. I don't know anything. And I... And I, I wanted to think about it like as if I was hosting a dinner party and I had assembled a group of people who didn't really know each other, but all were doing cool things in their different spheres. And as if you could come into this dinner party, easily make conversation with the people around you and you could learn some things like, oh, cool. I learned about this new thrift store from the person across from me and the person next to me was telling me about this cool documentary they were they just watched and the person next to me is telling me that about a book I want to write. And I found somebody, we're going to hang out and get coffee at this new coffee shop that, you know, serves fair trade. And we're going to go for a hike after I wanted that kind of energy be, of I'm need not know anybody or everybody here, but there's still a place for me. There's something for me to contribute and there's something for me to learn. And so that's the general vibe in general in general, how many times I'm going to say in general, but that's a <laughs> bingo board of how many times I say in general. So, but that's really the vibe and the energy that I wanted to create. I think my blog is still trying to figure out how do we get to that place, but I would like it to be a platform that shares information with people. And that's really kind of to where the Sunday brunch came up just to share information and to build genuine connections with people where you don't feel like 
you have to know everything or be doing everything perfectly. You don't have to be like a perfect vegan, zero waste, minimalist, X, Y, and Z, but there's still a place for you wherever, whatever level you're on. So that's how I got there, trying to extend out how do we build this community and how do we plug the hole between the information that's out there. There's a lot of great information and <laughs> the people in a way that feels like accessible and feels like something you want to engage in because nobody really wants to engage in something where people are like berating you and hitting you over the head and making you feel kind of stupid for not knowing any better. Um, so I want to extend the embrace a little bit, certainly. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I absolutely love your Sunday brunch because it just, it does, it gives you that thing of not feeling super overwhelmed because I think you want to try and learn these things, but there's so much information out there and if you can't make it in that accessible routine, it is easy to just want to switch off from things. And, and also as well, like you were saying, you don't have to be completely minimalist. You don't have to be the perfect vegan because we don't live in a world which makes that accessible for everyone. Right. And of course, the ideal world is that we have that and everyone needs to keep pushing for that. But that isn't where we are right now. So how can we still make it feel as accessible as possible. Absolutely. And I think that the Sunday brunch posts maybe get to the same concept of lagrum. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Of balance, of just like a little bit of something at the end of the week. It's not all like sustainability. It's not all eco-friendly, but it is something that hopefully improves your life. Even if it's just like, oh, here's a cool jazzy podcast to listen to while you're meal prepping your food for the upcoming week, or here's an article about how to reconnect with your friends during a pandemic. Just a little bit of something for what you could need. So it's a, take what you need, leave what you don't. You don't have to read all of the news. You don't have to, it's, it's not super heavy about news. It's just a little bit of something like a, a moose bouche of information. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And like recognizing that people are this holistic person. So you can't just focus on the environmental stuff because of course it's so important and we do need to prioritize that. But if we're not looking after our mental well-being, if we're not Definitely. engaging in things that we really enjoy like where's the momentum for that going to keep going like it's not sustainable also on your website you share about kind of values that you hold and one of them that I really connected with was the idea of creativity and how it's not just important within the arts but important for so many solutions and that really resonated with me a lot because I trained as a dance artist so Kind of went down a more artistic sort of route and it really does allow you to question things more and see things from different perspectives so yeah I'd love to hear why creativity feels so important to you in that aspect. I think because I've always identified as somebody who was creative and I decided very early on that I wanted to be a fashion designer and I've always dabbled in various type of crafting things and working in a more corporate space there was this tension between me trying to learn how things are done and wanting to do it the way that people are familiar with and also wanting to challenge that in a very like gentle and respectful way about how can we do things differently that still is, fits into this space well. 
managing people, you have to be really creative in how you get things done. It cannot just be, this is the way I'm going to do it. This is the way it's going to get done. And these people are going to respond to me and they're going to get back to me and I'm going to email them at this date. And like, you have to be a little bit more fluid and flexible and creative and, and energetic and excited. I do try to pull in some fun. I feel like that's missing from a lot of life in general is just how do we make things more enjoyable so we're not just enduring our entire life and it's not just about how can i endure it and then get to the finish line and i go to heaven and that's it it's like what a life is what kind of life is that how can we make things a bit more enjoyable opportunities where i've been able to be more creative and i feel like those creative solutions have been exactly the right solution that we need in that moment and it's something that every time you look at it okay, yeah, this is effective. And it also looks nice. I don't think everything has to look boring. And I think, <laughs> or be boring. And I think sometimes in, in corporate spaces, I'm like, gosh, this, everybody's a little stiff in here. Can we, <laughs> you know, like, let's, everyone, and we're all wearing like the same color suit and the same color button up and the same style of shoes. And I'm a, I'm a big thrift and like secondhand shopper. And my clothes for some of my meetings and I come in with my slacks and my blazer and my blouse and it's still like the loudest thing in the room this is this is the quietest outfit I could find for the space and it's still like standing out in a way that wasn't necessarily my goal but feels authentic to me and it brings a little bit of like sunshine okay we're trapped in this room for eight hours for a meeting I want to feel comfortable what I'm wearing and feel vibrant and I hope that other people want to feel vibrant and Look for opportunities to do that but trying to approach things from different angles and not just thinking how can i do it how everyone else has done it i think remind you of the type of value that you can bring to the world because nobody thinks just like you no one's going to have the ideas just like you no one's going to execute it just like you can and by opening yourself up to saying let's test out this way we've never done it before let's just see if it doesn't work i take responsibility for it it sucked we won't do it again. If it does work, it's a team effort. And, you know, I, I do want to talk about it as a team effort, but it feels rewarding to say, okay, that was my idea. That's going well. Nice. Everyone feels good. We're seeing some smiles. That's why creativity is super, super, super important to me. I think it too often gets relegated to it's just painting or it's just dancing or it's just making music. No, it's, it's it is all of those things, but it's not just those things. Yeah, for sure. Like, I really do believe that if I hadn't allowed myself to identify with the creative side of me, I don't think I would have questioned things as much. I don't think I would be at the place I am now. I wouldn't have known I could express my creativity in that way. Um, and I want to go back to what you said before about in the sort of more corporate situation and that feeling of like, oh, this is how we've always done it. I think that is one of the most damaging views that people hold yeah i feel like that's how i came into this space and it's like okay cool this is what we do why why don't we try any oh we've just always done it like this okay well does, does somebody say they don't want to do it like that okay so why don't we try to do it a different kind of way because if you do things the same way all the time you're you're probably going to get similar results people get complacent they are not engaged it becomes routine and it's okay to have routines in your life, but I think it's also really important to question your routines and to disrupt them whenever you can. And at first I was like, let me just learn what we're doing and how we're supposed to do it. And then it, as I built a relationship with my boss, who's always been so receptive to my ideas, 
which is also really important. And I think if I didn't have her as, you know, a thought partner, as they say <laughs> in corporate spaces, <laughs> which sounds so like, okay, a thought partner, but if I didn't have her as my partner in crime, um, and as somebody who's so encouraging for my, for my ideas, I wouldn't be able to blossom in this space because there's certainly been others like me. It's not like I'm the only one trying to do things differently, but it really depends on what kind of environment and leadership you have as well. Sounds like we definitely need more people in leadership like her and like yourself and people who will allow people to try these things out. You know, it's so important. So, so important. Um, right. Especially because we don't work in the medical field. I think there's certain fields where it's like, maybe we don't want to be testing. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a surgery, maybe we don't want to do it differently today. But in this field, I'm like, we can test things a little bit. But I also am all trying to be really mindful about accessibility and push that because I feel I've seen that that is not as much of a focus in the environmental space and in conversations around the environment and climate crisis solutions. And I truly believe that if we do not center indigenous voices, marginalized voices, disabled people and issues around accessibility and climate solutions, then they're not solutions. A solution that is just privileges, the most privileged, the most access, the most able-bodied person, the richest person. What the heck kind of solution is that? <laughs> It's not, it's not a solution. And so that's another thing that I have been asking more of, especially as meetings have been, how can this meeting be more accessible? How can we have land acknowledgements in meetings? How can we remember to share our pronouns in meetings and emails and that kind of thing? So just kind of like nudging along that there's a lot of different kinds of issues at play and we can't let them fall off just in the pursuit of then of you know being focused on the environment and environmental policy it has to really be a holistic approach yeah 100% and you share some super useful resources on kind of intersectional environmentalism and I'm super grateful for that it's so important and there was a quote on one of your posts that was saying too often there's a desire to remove the human element from environmental and climate related conversations, but it's impossible. And I completely agree with that observation. We can't view them as separate issues. They're so interconnected. And I think the more we learn about that and recognize that and me as a white person, we have even more responsibility of doing this learning because we've been in this system that, supports white supremacy so it's it's such a big issue to unpack and we all have a role in doing that but I was wondering mm -hmm. if you'd like to discuss environmental injustice a little bit more for anyone who's not as kind of familiar with terms such as environmental injustice and yeah any kind of examples you have to help people make those connections a little bit more Sure, I can talk about it a bit and also provide some examples. And just as you're saying from that article that I'd share, you cannot remove the human element because when it comes to the climate crisis, that's a human problem. Uh, industrialization, colonization, uh, capitalism has all rapidly sped us into what is now the climate crisis that we're living in. Um, so it's a human problem. It's another, and it's something that's created by the most privileged, the, mo <laughs> the ones that have the most access, the most convenience, the most, you know, the most resources. And it, the, the brunt of, of it falls on marginalized communities, um, 
people of color, largely disabled people, like I was saying before, if you think, you know, one example in New Orleans, if you have to evacuate because there's a hurricane, and if you're disabled, if you're in a wheelchair, if you're on crutches, you're hooked onto a ventilator. Some of the different shelters or some of the different places where you can evacuate from that are safe from the hurricane, they're not accessible. You can't bring your dog. So if you have a guide dog or a service animal with you, you can't do that. There's no ramp. So you have to rely on some stranger carrying you into this. Like, no, you're going to stay at your house where you have your resources. And people always say, why didn't people leave? And why didn't they leave? It's like, probably because they didn't have the ability to leave. Um, I was reading an article most recently that was, I mean, truly horrific about some elderly people who I believe was a hospice situation or it was a nursing home. And when there were some evacuations, they were all left there. Nobody came back for them. And then the state and the federal government were arguing about who was most responsible. And I thought that was the most absurd thing in the entire world. We're arguing about who's responsible. Meanwhile, we had 80-year-old people with special needs who have not had food and water in days. That's, that's absurd to me. We have to think about how can solutions to our world be more accessible now so that when we have a crisis, we have all those, there are ramps, that there are places where people with service animals can go. It can't be, oh shoot, there's a hurricane coming tomorrow, I guess, uh, what are we going to do? Like, you, it has to be built in. Um, some other examples, a lot of people talk about Flint, Michigan, and them not having clean water, which to my knowledge, Flint, Michigan still doesn't have clean water, but it's not just Flint, Michigan. The water crisis is a very big one in the U.S., and I think it's very easy for Americans to want to push that off to some far distant country oh, well, people over there don't have clean water. It's like, people here don't have clean water. You know, people live next to chemical waste plants that are dumping those chemicals into the water source, and that water is not clean for residents to drink, and they have to drink bottled water. And that's why when people talk about, oh, no bottled water, I'm like, well, yes, we don't want to drink bottled water because plastic waste is a big issue. But some people don't have that option because in order to be safe and healthy, they have to go for bottled water because the water coming out of their tap is contaminated. Clean water is another issue also up in the mountains in Appalachia, a group of people that often gets left out of the climate conversations as well. But it's, it's a countrywide issue. And there's a place in America called Cancer Alley because, to my knowledge, different factories dumping chemicals have contributed to the rise of cancer in the communities that live close to them. And those are mostly communities of color we know these chemicals are bad. And if you've lived your entire life breathing unclean air, drinking unclean water, going to schools, the textbooks are old, there's no heat, the food is moldy, that contributes to your overall quality of life. Um, and so that's why intersectional environmentalism is really important. And it's really important to remember the human element in climate crisis solutions, because the solution will look different in different communities. And it's very easy to want to kind of say, no straws, no plastic water, no this, no that. How do we not alienate huge swaths of people as we're thinking about climate solutions? How do we open the embrace, build community, think through how do we help all the different members in, in our community so nobody's getting left behind? Um, that's really what I'd like to see more of an emphasis on. And that's why I'm so, so, so excited just to see how the intersectional environmentalist
platform has been built because I think it's something we really, really need in the movement. And this is definitely the time for it. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think environmental injustices just really outline the lack of humanity that is existing at the moment and how we choose to value some people's lives more than others. We choose to negate responsibility for something happening in a different community because we just assume it's not our fault without realizing that our actions are what are causing those things. Right. And if we fix the, the root cause of the problem, then we could say things like no plastic water bottles. Okay. In order for us to say that we have to ensure that everybody has access to clean running water. Until everybody has access to clean water, running water, we can't say nobody should use a plastic water bottle. We can say, if you have an opportunity, if you are, have clean running water, please don't use plastic water bottles. Please use a filter. Please use a charcoal stick. Please buy boxed water if you have to. Canned water if you have to. Please don't use plastic. But these wholesale kind of don't do this, and if you do this, you're a bad person. Seeing that kind of stuff on social media drives me crazy. And I'm not a person who's going to jump in any like argument on social media. I don't have time for that. I'm going to go watch Great British Bake Off. I'm going to go practice some yoga. I don't want to argue with strangers. But it does piss me off every time I see it because I'm like, there are people in your community that you are failing to see. You, you haven't even seen them. And nobody wants to take accountability for anything. And sure, a lot of the climate crisis I have personally not contributed to. That doesn't mean that I don't personally want to help solve it because just because it impacts someone differently or more than me, I'm not saying, oh, well, it's up to them to figure it out because we all live in the same, I mean, we live on the same planet. This is the thing that kind of it makes me crazy sometimes because people think if I, if my corner and my street and my house and everything that's right here is perfect and good, that's fine. I don't have to care about anything else. I'm like, there's like one earth. We, there's no other place for us to go. Anything happening on a microcosm level does impact on a macro level. So this idea of like responsibility and accountability and borders and countries and oh, we're over here and nothing happening over there matters is nonsensical because it all matters it's all connected and we should all care yeah for sure and like I guarantee that anyone who looked through what they own in their house right now and wants to say like oh you know I'm in my little corner of the world it's like well where did the food that you bought from the supermarket this morning come from where mm -hmm. did where did your phone come from all of these things it's like you can't just think that because you live somewhere, you're only impacting the people who are your neighbors. It's like, no, no, everything you're buying is contributing to other things. Every choice that you make is having an impact on someone else. And I think there's such a disconnect from that that people need to be drawn back to. Yeah, and some of that I think too is a function of capitalism forces you to be overworked. And when you're overworked, I think it's hard to have empathy and to look outwards to other people because you're so burnt out and tired and trying to get everything done in your life. And it's really easy to then narrow your life down to just me. Well, oh gosh, okay, well, someone across the country doesn't have clean water, but I can't afford groceries. And I, and I think it's it's very easy to get caught up in that. And I, as much as possible, I try to challenge it within myself and try to challenge it in people I know. And I think that when more, when we do try to build community and we try to look out for each other, then everyone is being cared for. Nobody is being neglected. Everybody has hopefully what they need. If that's physical, 
practical resources, if that's kind of just like emotional support, no one's getting left behind. Um, but we do need more people <laughs> to have the idea of the earth is one big community. Yes, we're from different countries. Yes, we have different cultures. And that's all important and great and makes for a very rich world. And I don't think that we should diminish our differences at all. I think they're assets. But to, to, to be so siloed is, um, I don't know where that, I, that concept came from. And I don't know if it's because I traveled so much growing up that for me, I'm like, oh, it's cool. I like to explore everywhere that I felt connected to multiple parts of the world, but it's frustrating. Yeah, definitely. But I think what you keep talking about community is so important and like feeling supported. I think people, like you were saying with this situation on social media, people are so quick to want to put the blame on someone else and make someone else feel bad for what they haven't done rather than being like, oh, you haven't done this. Is there something that I can do from my position that can help make this easier so that we can all contribute to living in a better world? Like that's what we need more of is just listening to each other and trying to make the situation better for everyone rather than pointing the blame and negating responsibility. And that's why I I will say I've enjoyed a lot too about the rise of these like really informational posts that people have on social media now. Um, Especially the ones that have sources because if there's no source at the end, I'm like, where did you get this information from? It's a little bit sketchy now. Um, (laughs) But the people share information and share sources. It's, it's nice to be able to learn a little bit of something different and to hear from people who are in different places of learning. So I think it, 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 social media can certainly also be a tool for building community and building that education. Yeah. And also like diversifying the narrative, like the environmental movement along with pretty much everything else is so whitewashed with who you're hearing from people who are able-bodied people who have the time people who have these multiple privileges and Mm -hmm. I think that it's so important that there are platforms for more people to talk about different experiences because they all contribute to having a better picture of what's actually happening and how to actually come to a a solution from that right it's it's certainly even the playing field a little bit and giving and given multiple people opportunities for a platform, which I also think is really great, and to challenge a narrative. Because a lot of times, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> yeah, <it's> very true. <laughs> and so as much as I sometimes get very frustrated with the lack of things that people know, I'm like, well, they didn't know. But now you do, so what are you going to do about it? Like, there, there does have to be this immediate, now I know, I'm going to do something about it. And I don't think that's just for environments or social justice causes. I think that's like in your life in general. Okay. Now I know I need to like drink eight glasses of water. What am I going to do about, it? Oh, I'm going to drink eight glasses of water. Like that kind of thing. Once you know information, you act on it, act on it, push it a step further. Don't just say, ah, good to know. Keep on moving. Yeah. I've read my post for the day. <laughs> If you were in a position where you could reshape the environmental movement as it is currently, how would you change it to make it a better place to find more solutions? Mm -hmm. I think one of the main ones for me is recentering and centering Indigenous voices in climate conversations. That's something, that's another thing that I see that's significantly lacking. Certainly I can speak, you know, in terms of America or the United States, Indigenous people were here 
long, long before any of the rest of us and knew how to take care of the land. And there's just like this, this arrogance, I will say, around the development of technology and the idea of, of technology is better and this is the best way to do something. And I figured out the best and the fastest and the quickest and the smartest and the cheapest way to do it when we're finding out and seeing right now that's not always the case. And oftentimes that's actually not the case. And so I would, I would really like to see Indigenous Voices centered more on climate solutions. I watched a documentary recently that was on Netflix called Kiss the Ground, which talked about carbon sinks and carbon sequestration, which for the most part I thought was a really great introduction to those concepts, but certainly lacked Indigenous Voices, which I thought was a very strange choice for a film based in America about how to like take care of the soil and the ground. I'm like, where, what, we're, we're missing people here. Um, we got here and we thought our technology was better and best and we thought we knew what we were doing and maybe not we, we, um, I wasn't in that we, but you know, <laughs> we got it. Uh, you, get, you get what I'm saying. And it's very frustrating to me to see indigenous people's uh, way of doing things so dismissed. Um, and another one for me too, I would like to see people with different disabilities centered more in solutions, not just with climate change, but just the world in general. I started following a bunch of different activists who are disabled and it's made me really think critically about the world that I live in just in general. Um, once again, if you're keeping a bingo card or tally of how many times I say in general, that's it for you. You're welcome. But what I think, as much as I love New York, there are subway stops where there is no elevator. So if you can't walk downstairs, you can't go or you can't get off at that stop. I think about sometimes when I'm walking around, I think, what if I was blind? How would I know that the light has changed for me to cross the street? I wouldn't. There's no noise here. What if I was deaf? How would I be able to hear directions that are being, you know, shouted through a megaphone if someone's telling us we can't use? We're on the subway, we're skipping it, and it's going to be the next stop. How would I know that? I wouldn't unless I had somebody else with me. And I think that people should have full autonomy no matter what their ability is. They should be able to navigate the world and do all the things that, I, that I'm doing. Um, or at least have access to those things if they'd like to do them. Um, and so certainly when it comes to climate change, climate crisis solutions, I'd like to see those two groups centered more, marginalized people, of course. We're seeing more of that. I think that it would be great to see more nuance. Um, I really have been enjoying hearing from more young people, which this climate crisis is impacting. And it's impacting us. So it's nice, to, it's nice to see those voices. I'd like to see more of them. And I'd like to see more of them in these spaces that have typically only held the most privileged, the whitest, the oldest <laughs> kind of voices. I'm like, okay, great. I think that there's wisdom and experience that can be shared and learned from that group. But it's certainly, we, we need to open it up to the wisdom and experience that can be learned from indigenous people, disabled people, young people, um, and people of color. Yeah, for sure, because one demographic can't speak on behalf of everyone. Like you need a diversity of voices for sure, otherwise there's no deeper understanding than that one person's experience, and then the whole world gets built in a way that favors that one type of existence, and that can't lead anywhere good. Like it just, 
it can't and we're seeing that in the world that we live in now i mean i want to live in the world that you created <laughs> but, um... yeah if i could <laughs> like you're saying you get so caught up in what's happening in your kind of immediate surroundings it's taking that moment to actually think oh if if i was born into a different situation what would the world be like for me how many things would be so much more inaccessible and i think if more people can do that more often then there's more chance for people to open up to then realize that there isn't this one narrative that we've been kind of directed to think that there is in the world absolutely as well i've seen on your platform recently you talked a lot about indigenous people's day in america which i'd love to hear more about because it's it's so important to recognize the land that you're on and whose it actually is before we came and stole it so it's yeah right well it's right um so i spent a lot of social justice movements and a lot of causes and reclaim the land is one of them and the idea of reparations has i think been a conversation that black people or african americans in america have been a part of in some way or another but Indigenous people have to also be part of that conversation because the land that was promised to slaves, the 40 acres and a mule, well, okay, where are those 40 acres coming from? You don't have, that isn't your land to even give away in the first place. <laughs> you know, so it's like, holy crap, the levels, of, the levels of it is, is absolutely mind boggling. But with Indigenous Peoples Day, I believe it began, there is a push from the UN even, a committee in the UN years and years ago to rename what we used to call Columbus Day here in America. And just realizing that it's such a harmful and damaging holiday, I, I mean, I use holiday very lightly, idea of our holiday to be named after a person that really ushered in genocide and colonization and the stealing of land. Indigenous people are still in this country. They're not like gone. And so there's been, there's been a movement to reclaim it and rename it as Indigenous Peoples Day and to shine a spotlight on the fact that Indigenous people still live here. They are not all the same. They have a very rich history, vastly different from each other even. And last year, the year before, I was able to attend a powwow, a bunch of tribes that were about an hour and a half or so where, where I lived and heard some about their traditions and got to see different tribes and their style of dress and their different style of singing and their different style of how they govern. And it was just really great to be reminded of the rich history predates everyone else who lives here on this land anyways. And so it's a federal holiday now in America, Indigenous Peoples Day. However, different states and counties or cities have the choice about whether or not they want to recognize it as a, as a holiday. Um, some places, I believe, still have Columbus Day, and I know that some Italians are saying, well, Columbus was an Italian, and taking away our history, and yada, yada. It's like, there's got to be another guy, like another Italian that we can, <laughs> that we can like, put on a platform. Do we want to choose that guy? I mean, I can't speak for all Italians. Um, so, like, I don't think, I think we want to do something a little different. Let's choose another guy. Um, and so it's been nice to see that, and then there is the app, I always just Google whose land, who's land am I on, and the website comes right up and it shows you, you can put in your address here in the U.S. I actually haven't used it overseas in 
obviously different areas have different groups of indigenous people and you can put in your address and where you are and you can find out whose land you're on. The tribes that have the land that has now been reclaimed and, and stolen um, and you can learn some about them. And that's something that I like to always encourage around Thanksgiving and do for myself personally is just to learn more about whose land am I on? What's their history? Where are they now? Um, a number of tribes are still in the process of being federally recognized as being tribes. And even if they are smaller than they used to be, they're still here. This is still their land. It's nice to be reminded of that and to have another opportunity to engage in community and to think about what does a solution look like for all of us? Not just like me, what does a solution look like for you as well? But yeah, I would definitely encourage anyone who's in the U.S. to look up whose land they're on, to research the history of the tribes, to see if there's any powwows. I'm sure right now they're not taking place and not being open to the public if they are, but once we're able to be out in public again, which man, it feels like we're never going to be It feels so far away. I hope and pray. Once we are able to safely gather again, I definitely would encourage people, if you have an opportunity to attend a powwow, um, as a guest and remember that you are a guest, which is respectful and to take up the least amount of space and the least amount of energy and the least amount of time and resources as you can as a guest on someone else's land and certainly in someone else's powwow. It's really eye-opening and rewarding. It goes back to what you were saying about the documentary Kiss the Ground and like rather than actually giving a platform for the voices of people who have been practicing these practices, Yes. The entirety exactly. of their existence. It's <laughs> like, oh no, we, we even have to claim this and say that it's our idea. We figured out, hey guys, carbon sinks. We've just figured <laughs> out if you break up the land and you don't overwork it, then maybe <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is, yes, industrial, you know, farm industrialization is not great and I'm glad that we can talk about our meat consumption and I'm glad we can talk about carbon sinks and, you know, bio sequestration, but let's also acknowledge the fact that we thought this was the best thing to do and we turned out to be wrong and let's mm. be able to take responsibility and accountability for actually this thing that we thought was better was this advanced technology like sucks. Because <laughs> it's like, why, why can't we take responsibility for the errors we made and actually credit the people that have the solution? Right. Ooh, we did the wrong thing and now we're doing something else and we're doing a practice that's been around for a while and we're learning how to do this practice better from the people who have been doing it. I feel like that would be a beautiful framework. Taking responsibility for the things you do wrong builds trust and building trust builds community. And I think that's another reason why accountability is so important when it comes to climate conversations. It's why in a lot of conversations, with um, previous presidents who we had in this country who believed in climate change, the U.S. had talked about the fact that we have to take responsibility for the volume of what we contribute to climate change. We can't act like we're every other country and we contribute the same amount because we don't. We contribute a lot to greenhouse gases. By acknowledging that and saying we're going to do our part, not the equal part, but the the accountability work of what actually needs to get done, I think people trust, but no one wants to take responsibility because people don't want to be wrong. And it's like, 
Well, you're human, so I hate to tell you, you were going to be wrong. If you can be gracious in admitting that you're wrong, and if people can be gracious in letting people have space to admit they're wrong, we build trust, we build solutions, we build a happier world, we're not all stressed. And interesting thing about advancement of climate change is how scientists do predict we're going to see more pandemics as certain parts of the world that have been frozen thaw out. And as we're introduced to different bacteria, microbes, and organisms that have been under layers of ice, and as they thaw out, this COVID-19 could very easily not be, you know, a one-off. We are not connecting the melting ice to the pandemic, to the this, to the that. We think it's all these different things. I'm like, it's all the same cycle and we're all stuck on the same planet. So we better treat it like it's all related. 100%. Yeah, I saw an infographic recently, which really depicted this. I'll credit it in the notes because I can't remember exactly whose it was right now, but um, it was like a picture of loads of waves and it had labels on each one. And it was like COVID was this little one that was coming first. That's the one that, is just blown up and what everyone is talking about and then there's all these waves coming after it which is just oh. all of the other climate issues the social injustice issues and it's like covid it is a huge issue but we can't let it make us forget about everything else that's still happening in the world you know right especially because there's been i mean this year for, for hurricanes i believe has been record setting in america i mean we're at like zeta when did we get to the greek alphabet <laughs> like when did, okay we passed a through z now we're in some other letters okay that doesn't sound great that doesn't sound good um that sounds scary and so of course we're gonna have increased hurricane cyclone tsunami type of weather events. Um, we're seeing a lot of fires, which we've already seen that this year and last year before COVID even hit. We're seeing flooding and then we're seeing pandemics, which are going to continue to happen. And we also have to remember that not everybody's experiencing COVID-19, the pandemic, the same way. And people are impacted differently by it. And I think people say we're all in this together. And some of us live in apartments with six other people and we have to go to work. And this idea of if one of us gets sick and you have to quarantine, not everybody has a space in their, where they live to quarantine. Not everyone can afford to have groceries shipped to them. Even the thing about the masks, which I, now you're seeing a better accessibility to cloth masks, but it, in the beginning of the pandemic in America, we were really only seeing easy accessibility to medical kind of level masks and paper masks, which of course contribute to waste. But if you're not giving people masks and if you're not sending people fabric masks and they're not stocked in the stores, which now they are, but at the beginning they weren't, then this shaming of, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're wearing a paper mask. It's like, well, where else are people supposed to do? You know, we're not all experiencing it the same, the same kind of way. And I think it's really important. I also think about our unhoused people who are in our community and who are living um, on the streets and how they're impacted by this pandemic and how they're going to be impacted by increases of floods and hurricanes and extreme weather, extreme colds and extreme hots. And then I think about all of the housing that's sitting in New York City right now that's empty because a lot of people have left the city and they've gone back to the suburbs. I remember I saw this absurd, I think it was in Las Vegas, 
outside dome for people to practice yoga outside in their own individual dome. And Vegas also has a history of struggling with how to meet the crisis of um, unhoused community. I'm like, okay, so we can't figure out a way to help people who want to be in a building, in a house, in an apartment, to be inside. But we are gonna make sure that the people who wanna practice yoga outside are able to do that. Is anybody seeing that there's a disconnect? <laughs> you know, like you can have your luxury, and we're gonna make sure we accommodate your luxury, but we're not gonna meet people's basic needs. It's, it's baffling. Like recently in the UK, there was a situation where the government refused to provide free meals for kids from families of a lower socioeconomic background who mm -hmm. couldn't afford to keep putting food on the table for their kids. Mm -hmm. And then, so they said no to that, yet the MPs who are working are still getting their lunches paid for and get £25 a day. £25 a day, mm -hmm. like, for their lunch. And I'm pretty sure they're on a wage where they're not struggling yeah. right now. Like, right. They don't need a voucher for their lunch, yeah. And it comes back to that thing of why, why is one person's life valued so much more than someone else's? I think, and I think too, it's because capitalism, you do, you have to undervalue somebody because you have to undervalue them in order to be able to exploit them for their labor, their time. And there's also the idea of, well, whatever circumstances you're in, it's your fault and you chose them. Um, so it's not my responsibility to make sure that somebody I don't know is fed or has a house or has, you know, it's not my fault. I worked hard. It's like you worked hard and you also had circumstances that enabled your hard work to be rewarded in a way that's given you the life that you have. Just because someone doesn't have that doesn't mean that they are not working hard. I think we all deserve access to clean running water, to clean, healthy food, to a clean, healthy environment, and to a clean and healthy and safe place to live and close. Yes, 100%. And I don't think that should be a radical idea. No. Like, it's not like we don't have enough resources in the world to, to meet that. We actually do. It, it, there's so, you know, we talk about, you can talk about food waste, you can talk about textile waste, clothes at the end of the season that get slashed up and burned by H&M or whoever, and food that gets tossed at the end of their day. And I understand that that is a little bit of um, health and safety concerns around food handling, but there is so much waste. And then we say, oh, well, if you didn't work a job today, you can't get fed. What? Those are the, those are the things that keep me up. Those are things that make me, that, that have me think, what can I do? How can I contribute to the world? How can I, and it's not all the solutions. I don't know if I have really any solutions, but I do think building community and building compassion um, can certainly help us to meet some of that need. It's having that hope and belief in the fact that people who see the work that people like you are doing, people who are caring and passionate and wanting to make a difference. And there are wonderful people like that in the world. And it's just holding that trust in that they will influence other people to start seeing the world differently. And it's trying to trust in those ripple effects, which at times it can feel overwhelming and like, well, what does my choice make a difference when you've got a massive corporate company not paying tax and all of that money could basically solve the climate crisis? Like yeah. when there's things like that, you're like, it's infuriating. Yeah. But, 
We could talk for five hours about that, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's so infuriating. I'm like, you can solve it. You can solve the water <laughs> crisis in the world and still be rich. And you're, you still are going to have more money than I'll make in my entire life. And you can do some real good. This this idea, well, why should I do any good for those people? I'm like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? What? You don't want to do good for other people? You just, it's just you, yourself, for the rest of your life? Wow, that's lonely too, you know? Yeah. To be so just focused on yourself. I can't believe, like, that has to be lonely. You have to be the loneliest person in the world to think like that. Um, you must not have anybody who really cares about you. Because when you have people who care about you, it reminds you of that, like, your heart's beating, that little empathy and compassion, and you're able to extend it to other people. And we definitely need more empathy and compassion in the world. More of that, please. <laughs> I'm just afraid that anyone listening to this is then going to, like, see me at the grocery store one day when I'm hangry, and they'll be like, I thought you needed more empathy and compassion. <laughs> Okay, I'm a work in progress. I want to make sure we underline very heavily that <laughs> I'm human. I have my great moments. And I have a moment when I'm standing in line at Trader Joe's in New York City. And I'm like, for the love of God, people, pick up your peanut butter and let's go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Well, I have just realized that I've kept you for over an hour now. Um, and it's been so, so wonderful chatting with you. And is there, are there any last things you'd like to add before I ask my final little question? I think my last thing to add would be to encourage people to think about how they can build community in their life with what they have, not how can you build it later or how can, what else do you need to build it? Um, even just checking up on people that maybe you're not best friends with, but you are in your friendship circle to see how they're doing, to go, if it's safe, hang out with them at a park or someplace, um, to look up opportunities in your, in your community for volunteering and civic engagement can, I think, really make a difference if, if we all kind of did that and contributed to the world that we want to see and don't rely on someone else to build the world we want to see and don't diminish ourselves and our own capacity in order to build that world as well. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think everyone go and do that, please. (laughs) 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 Well, yeah, I will now ask you my final question that I always ask on the podcast, which is inspired by Largan, which is, you know, the balance a little bit, not too much. So I just want to ask how you find your little bit of Largan could be in your day, in your week, a habit, just what it means for you in your life. How I've been finding some logum in my life is by reminding myself to be present and to slow down. I think the tendency, especially, you know, at 30 years old, is to think so much about the future, what I want to do in my career, where I want to go. And it's all this striving and pushing and thinking about a distant, something that doesn't exist yet but I have this moment right now and how can I best honor that future self by being present now? And so for me, that's been practicing yoga, drinking tea in the morning, anything that reminds me to come back to myself and to be grounded. That's beautiful. 
Thank you so much. It's yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Of course, this was super fun. I, I will say that I've been wanting to visit Sweden. Um, and so I will invite myself to come meet you in person one day when we're allowed to leave our homes, <laughs> which I don't know, that might not be for another two years. So we're going to have to keep in touch yeah, that long. Sure. Um, but it's been really, it's been really enjoyable to meet you and to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much and have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Stay safe. Thank you so much to Jasmine. I really recommend that you check out her website or give her a follow on Instagram to see the awesome work that she's doing. I really do find her super inspirational and yeah, it was just such a fruitful conversation and I learned so much and I hope that you did as well. If you're enjoying the podcast and you'd like to support it further, I'd really appreciate if you check out the coffee account. This podcast is run non-for-profit, so any donations go straight back into trying to make the podcast better for you. And if you're not financially in a position to do so, but you want to support further in some way, if you share it with family and friends or drop a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, it really does make such a difference and I'm incredibly grateful for it. If you have any questions or thoughts on any of the episodes, feel free to drop me a message on Instagram where you can find me at a little bit of Largan. Thank you so much for listening and I will speak to you again soon. Bye.